Welcome to Out of Rich Darkness. I'm Camille Savage-Kroll. And I'm Elena Chia. We're both professors at the University of Music in Freiburg, Germany. In this podcast, we reimagine the ways in which we learn and make music and explore how it can be part of a holistic, healthy way of being in the world. For our second season, we've brought in some help in the form of experts from different fields, ranging from environmental activism to visual arts, who can help us see where our blind spots might be and inspire us to dream bigger. conversation with concert pianist and specialist for learning and development, Fabiana Biazzini. She's one of my oldest friends, and we left off talking about improvisation and why we don't do that in classical music. There is another buzzword in this, in this, you know, in this current time, and that is uh, adaptability to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, when when I talk to to my colleagues or people I, I I work with to build capacities, very often I make this parallel with being able to improvise with music. Yeah. You know, right now what one of the of the attitudes or competences that is more valued is the capability of of react quickly to change and adapt. So, um, you know, what better way there can be than practicing improvisation, not only with music, but with words, you know, with uh, mm -hmm. being able to be agile. And as, as music teachers or as music performers, how do we incorporate this in our own teaching? Are we helping our students or our colleagues to... You know, to to reinforce this attitude or this strength, um, and that is very very interesting to me because of what happened in the past four months. Right? Uh, we yeah. cannot pretend that everything is is exactly the same. <laughs> no. Yeah, and actually, I'm interested. You, um, maybe you can describe for us what your job entails as learning. Uh, specialist because I would be interested in what we can implement from what you do into the music world. Yeah, yes, so I, I work at different levels. Um, mainly I oversee, coordinate or design learning programs both for um, UNICEF staff so that when they deliver life-saving goods to children, these goods can reach the children in the most difficult conditions in the shortest possible time. But also I, I um, support the work that is done with governments so that, for example, if they have um, health supply chain, meaning, for example, they have to deliver vaccines, they're able to make sure that all of the children who are in need can get these life-saving vaccines in the right conditions and under the, the, the in the right state they can receive them um, as they need to be received so it's also working with uh, you know ministry of health ministry of uh, mainly ministry of health um, so that the forecasting the um, identification of needs the procurement of these life-saving goods is done in the most appropriate way 
it's mainly building their capacity. So you are teaching people in those positions, like in the Ministry of Health, to make their processes more efficient? Yeah, I, not just me as an individual, I support the UNICEF staff in country offices um, so that they can in turn support uh, the governments. Um, when I was working in other agencies, I, I was working directly with government officials. Mm -hmm. But it's always a teamwork. That's also very interesting. When you want to make a lasting change, um, not only do you work with, in collaboration with many people, mm -hmm. but also you have to work at different levels. So you work at the individual level, but you also work at the organizational level could be a music institution could be uh, a, a ministry but also and then you try to change the global environment because when we work together then we can put in place the right policies the right guidances to implement these policies it has to be a holistic approach and i wonder how much of this could be translated into our musical world yeah so can you describe, like, just a, a give us a little example of how you work with the individuals, with the organizations, yes. and with the, the yes. policies? Yes, we, we had, um, I had a, a great success story, at least for me, uh, when I was working for the Food and Agriculture Organization. We were dealing with the fact that uh, in many uh, countries where the um, well, the, where the rural world was traditionally uh, managed by smallholders, so families who were working on their land for their own subsistence. Um, many of these countries saw multinationals coming in and leasing the land for 99 cents for 100 years, bringing in uh, the promise of infrastructure while they changed completely the way this land was worked and the system. So basically erasing the traditional family farming system and importing a system more, you know, industrialized so that a lot of people lost their, not only their cultural identity, but their means to survive. And they became employees of someone else's, you know, system so we went in um, and 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 also within this context women and children were the most um, vulnerable so we went in trying to change the process of uh, leasing we went in several countries in in africa uh, namely liberia uganda and sierra leone to support the government in understanding and building capacity on how to deal with these multinationals coming in from other countries. And uh, we work with the government. We build capacity of the individuals in understanding what are the international um, guidelines for uh, um, a sustainable agricultural investment. There are some guidelines that have been agreed among uh, all these different countries and they are implemented and ratified by the individual countries. So we help them understand the content of these guidelines, how to implement them. And then at the Ministry of Health level, we uh, looked at all the processes and see how we could optimize these processes so they could adhere 
to these guidelines. And then we, in turn, the, the technical uh, teams advising the ministry would identify what would be the policies and regulations that would put these uh, uh, guidelines in place and that would make them possible. And we, uh, we changed, we were able to support the government in changing critical regulations so that, for example, now in Liberia, it would not be possible by any uh, other government to propose a lease of a of 100 years for 99 cents. It's not going to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. If, so I'm curious now, this might be a stupid question, but how do you convince the government to go with UNICEF instead of these multinational companies where they think they might be making more money? Uh, first of all, uh, it was not UNICEF, it was FAO, but we oh, right, approach, sorry. yeah, no, that's okay. The approach is, is the same thing. We, the approach is, uh, um, we don't have to convince the government and we would never do that. It's, as we say, the, uh, the organization, the UN organization is in the passenger seat. We are accompanying change. We are supporting change. Um, basically, if you have something like the voluntary guidelines for responsible investment, these are guidelines that have been agreed and ratified by almost 200 countries. So it is in the, in, in the government's interest to be part of this group. For many reasons, for visibility, for uh, respectability, for having a seat at the table, and uh, and they, you know, there are also um, incentives, of course, that go beyond this um, mainly um, branding image of your own country. But of course, when you know that there are 180 countries ratifying uh, some guidelines that are still voluntary, but you are more compelled to adhere to them right. and also there are also some uh, obviously some economic considerations on the longer term because if you are able okay. to support the well-being of your own people it will definitely create a more stable and and healthy society mm. on the longer term yeah wow okay so and the individual I I got a little bit confused. Where is the individual level in this system that you just yes, described? Yes, if you are working, say, as a, in the in the Ministry of Agriculture, yeah. and you are the first person that receives uh, an expression of interest by another country uh, to acquire some land. If you don't know anything about it, you might look at this and say, wow, this is amazing. They're going to bring in roads, bring in jobs, create some infrastructure. But then if you, if you know, if you learn about what are the risks, how to do risk assessment, how mm -hmm. to do um, a due diligence on whoever proposes this, then you know you are more prepared and that's where the individual capacity is, yeah. is addressed. Okay, so, you, um, so it's important to train those or to help those, facilitate yes. those people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to give them their their options and so that they know if I go this way, then it ends up there. And if I go this way, I end up there. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Brava. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know how to, 
um, transpose this for us musicians, but maybe one way of looking at this is that whenever we, <laughs> we, uh, we think about, we create our musical capacity, um, it's not just being able to play all the Chopin etudes immaculately. Um, so that would be focusing on a very small scale but it's also bringing it up a level. How do you work with the other musicians? How would you work with your institution? How can you make sure that these ideas of creativity, responding to change, um, being sensitive to the context around you, how can we embed all these considerations within the organization? And therefore to make a further impact at the more global level. Wow, yeah. I'd love to ask you um, also maybe a stupid question, sort of along these lines, but, but also having to do with your biography. And maybe also even in the context of Corona right now, um, a lot of musicians who are, in quotes, only musicians are completely out of work now. And some are starting to think about how to reorient themselves. I'm wondering, do you think it might even be a healthy thing for musicians to go as far as having more than one career. I hardly even know how to, how to formulate this, but something that could go hand in hand with their, with their being a musician. I mean, this is something that even while you were doing this, you were kind of fighting the two being, <laughs> being intertwined, but but as a way on the one side of, you know, of course, very practically of, of being able to make a living, but also maybe as a way of integrating music back into, into life or, I don't know. I mean, I'm just starting to, starting to think about this, but when you reflect on yeah. your life, are you glad for that balance? You know, that is, that is such an interesting point you're raising, Camille. Of course, it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy right now because most of my colleagues are out of work. And, you know, we saw, all of us saw our concerts canceled, some of us indefinitely. Um, So it is a tragedy. Um, Yes, of course, if if you're able to navigate in different areas, that, of course, helps. Um, And I think it it is also... um, in today's world, uh, I'm, I'm actually questioning the, the health of being a 100% only musician just because um, I don't know if we can afford that anymore. Uh, maybe we could in a different type of world, but anything that helps us being resilient and being ready to respond to change is welcome, I think. Being it, being ready to teach other things, write, learn other things, um, start your own business. I don't know what it could be, but having that mental flexibility of adapting. And I think we should prepare our people, our colleagues, our students also to to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I honestly think we would benefit from potentially from from having this way of thinking 
because like you say, we would just be more resilient people. We would be more, more flexible in how we approach problems of all types. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. And I think this might also be something that, that also it would be able to open up the world of music. I think if we're, if we're doing that, I think we might start to reflect on our music making in a completely different way as well. I'm not sure yet what that means. It's probably a very individual thing, which would be fantastic. Um, and, and I think maybe a lot of times we talk about music as this being this holy, almost myth mythical thing. Um, and and I, I wonder sometimes if we do music in injustice because we, we don't, it's not individual enough then. And music can be so many different things. And as soon as we talk about music as this global, wonderful phenomena, I think we almost, we almost do a disservice to, to what music can be at an individual level. Yeah, I, I agree. Not thoughts that I've thought to the end, just things that I'm starting to think about. Yes, and there are many levels, you know, like you said, like you say, it could be that for one person, the solution will be to, I don't know, integrate, go out to, to uh, technical schools and, and bring more music and make agreements with the principal of the technical school or, you know, for others would be bring it in places where it has never been before. I don't know. Um, for others will be in their own own circle of people. How can I make a change here? Uh, or how can I find different places or venues to perform that are more sustainable? There are so many ways. Yeah. I'm just thinking how wild would it be and, and amazing if we had mathematician musicians and physician musicians and artist musicians and writer musicians and people who who have multiple ways of being in the world and also identify as musicians, not, not just hobby musicians, because that is also something that, that's necessary, but, but really identify as professional musicians and as something else and can, can integrate those two things. That, that, yeah, it's an interesting you, thing. You're touching on something that is vital because, you know, um, for, for a long time, and Lainey knows about this because I, when I came out on LinkedIn, <laughs> came out of the closet, and, and, I, and I put both you know, my learning specialist and concert pianist, it was, a, it was really a relief for me. But why can't we respect and accept that people could have equally fulfilling and serious careers at the same time? Yeah, you know, yeah. we don't need to, and maybe that's part of the way we practice. We don't need, un, unless we are like learning or we are 16 or 17, I don't know. We don't need to spend six hours at our own instrument right? to be good uh, music, right? Yeah. Oh my that gosh. Is how we end up in, in institutions, and I'm not talking about institutions of music learning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, what I'm thinking is, Every time, and obviously this is also my problem, but every time I have ended up in an organization with a tradition and a history, I have always forced myself back into that really small, narrow box. And even if I started, like with this job in Freiburg, I went there and I was so proud of myself for having presented myself as I really am and with the ideas that I have. And I thought, great, I got the job as the person I am, so this is now what I can do here. And then as soon as I got there and I saw that the atmosphere was so completely different, I started putting myself in smaller and smaller boxes and being more afraid of doing the things that I had talked about that were important to me. And yeah. 
So I think that's something I have to fight against in myself because that's the, the, that's the desire to just please and to, and to win approval from the people who are so-called in charge. And then on the other side, there's, as you say, there's the organizational level, there's the, the, um, the global environment and the global environment in classical music is I think overwhelmingly conservative and unwilling to budge yeah you said something uh that is so hard to attain but i think it's important to strive for and is self-affirmation um you know i i also remember that part of my feeling so shy about opening up to a parallel career was that i felt that i didn't fit the idea of that the other people had of me as a musician and whereas I wanted to explore other fields, I wanted to, to learn other things. And I was absolutely sure that next time I would sit down and play a Beethoven sonata, it would sound different just because of all the experiences I made. Even, you know, Rilke said that to be a poet, you have to suffer, you have to laugh, you have to cry, mm -hmm. you have to live, not just in your own little yeah. ivory tower. So the same thing. And, but, and I think we, we should be proud of, of this. And, and uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Really, do you think you could name specifically what your fear would be in, in the world of, of UNICEF and then in the world of music? What is your fear of, of showing the other side? Interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, when it emerges in, in, in my other, in my uh, UN bubble, let's say UN contest, that I am a musician, there is appreciation. Um, when I mention this within the musical context, usually, oh, will you have time to be ready in time for the concert? Can we... You know, we're rehearsing that day. Are you sure you can make it, you know? Not a total music slave? <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting. Maybe we, we do need to, to, to wonder whether we should open up more, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's totally. I mean, I feel that's what I really learned from going to this artist residency in Portugal. I was, I think at least one of the times I went there, I was the only person there living from my art. I mean, even if I am also a professor. So uh, all the other artists, the visual artists, the um, writers, they were all doing something else. And there were people who were in the medical profession who were uh, selling things. There was an artist who would drive a forklift whenever he didn't sell enough paintings. I mean, it was just normal for them. They, and it didn't mean for them, oh, I'm not an artist because I'm driving a forklift. I mean, this kid, he was only 25, but he was, I love driving yeah. this forklift. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You remain an artist and you make and you do things artistically, even when they're not music. So that's much appreciated, I think. Mm. But, but we didn't invent this. Remember um, Paderewski? He was... Um, a politician and he was the prime minister of Poland at some point. Right, I mean, right, right. he was one of the most incredible pianists. Right. 
And then and there's Charles Ives, who I love. Yeah, exactly. There's old insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hoffman, he invented the wind, windshield wipers. He was an inventor. Yeah, so. really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No way. Very creative people. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And we really, it shows us we must get away from the mindset that if you are not just living from your art, that you're a failure. Mm. That is, that is a huge, a huge problem um, in the classical music world, which mm -hmm. apparently doesn't seem to be as big of a problem in other art scenes. It's, it's more the norm. Yeah, well, of, of course. Uh, imagine, remember, Lainey, when we were living in New York, I think half of the people working in restaurants were actors yeah. or dancers, right? Yep, sure. Yeah. yeah. It was absolutely normal. Yeah. I think a lot of times musicians, um, and I think this is more, more so in the States, but musicians who who also wait tables, that's sort of a cliche, you know, because it's the struggling musician waiting tables um, and, and seen sort of as, as a little bit sad, even though everyone does it. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if we couldn't just actively plan for not, not have it be something that you have to do, you do something else on the side because you have to, but if also in music school, it couldn't be encouraged that we pursue other sides of ourselves, that we actively encourage people to pursue other interests instead of saying, no, you really shouldn't do that because you have to focus on music. I mean, I'm remembering also when I was um, at the Eastman School, you know, we had the, the misfortune of, or I, they also saw it as a, as, a, as a fortunate thing, but to be in upstate New York in the winter, um, you literally were snowed in most of the year. So wow. you didn't do anything except practice. You went to class and practiced and um, just like little hamsters in, in wheels, just music, 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 music. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, if, if how, how different our lives might be if in these institutions we're actively encouraging people to pursue other things, um, that it would change, I think, how, how musicians think about themselves. Coming back to that idea of self-affirmation, um, we, would, we would start to view ourselves as whole people and that that enriches our music making. Yeah, absolutely. Away from it. I, I think it's an excellent point. Yeah. I think even if you would say to your students, okay, uh, come back to me, to us, with two ideas for a, a format of a concert that has never ha happened yep. before. Yep. Uh, or a venue that has never been used for a concert before or something you know, just pushing the and boundaries. You know, yes. That is exactly what I think Camille and I both try to do. And I mean, Camille, I think is more successful in that sense because you have created your own curriculum entirely. Um, and I'm for lucky me, to be able to do that, but yeah. Well, yeah, and it also comes with a lot of work. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, for me, I'm part of the, the just sort of run of the mill bachelor of music system where everyone is expected to be either an orchestral musician or a teacher. And so my students are like, what? We don't have time to do that. We're busy with this and that. And um, so it's it, the global environment and the organization are not supporting my individual ideas. <laughs> so it's, it's a uh, Yeah, it's a step-by-step -step process, right? changes from within <laughs> yes and we we are yeah. the individual level in in that process that you were talking about 
there of course needs to be the institutional level there needs to be the global awareness of of the situation and the and the drive to change but we're part of we it we need those un guidelines yeah <laughs> we need yeah. a un of yeah. schools <laughs> Yeah, you know, we could uh, we could go to UNESCO. They are, you know, they are the organization that uh, cares about heritage and culture. Maybe we could. Why not? Wouldn't that be great? Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> Global yeah. guidelines for artists. Seriously, because that would. I'm I'm asking myself, what would be what would be the global level? And I, I think this has just not even been reflected on at that level at all, at all. I mean, I have searched actively for people trying to, to, to change um, and, and think about this. And there just isn't anything or anyone or any organization at that level. It's true. Yeah. But what an idea. We should do it. Bing, bing, yes. bing. Yes. 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 <laughs> we'll be the ambassadors of artists. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Out of Rich Darkness. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take the time to leave us a review so that more people can find us. You can help us grow our community of positive change by engaging with us. What's on your mind? Who should we talk to next? We'd love to hear from you on social media. 